Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in John chapter 4. I'm going to do verses 43 through 54 in this audio. These verses cover the healing at Cana of a nobleman's son. This incident is after Jesus left the Judean area because John the Baptist had got arrested and he'd gone back up to Cana. He'd gone back up to Galilee, I'm sorry. And this healing at Cana of the nobleman's son was the first healing of the so-called great Galilean ministry, which is covered in great detail by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but which is omitted by John. So I thought that what I would do, since the chronology is a little bit difficult in John, is to go through so far what I've covered in John and tell you what has happened chronologically. This is according to A.T. Robertson's Harmony. I will start back in John 1, verses 19 through 28, when John the Baptist had to deal with the Sanhedrin coming to investigate him. John identified Jesus. Jesus made his first disciples. And this was all after the temptation of his three temptations. He then leaves the Jerusalem area to go to Cana, excuse me, to go to uh, Galilee, and uh, he worked his first miracle at Cana probably after stopping off at Capernaum. Then he makes a sojourn at Capernaum, accompanied by his kindred and his early disciples. This is in John chapter 2. Then on a Passover, he goes from Capernaum back down to Jerusalem and cleanses the temple for the first time. He interviews Nicodemus and tries to get him born again. John the Baptist then says he must decrease that Jesus must increase as Jesus and John do a parallel ministry. And then Jesus left Judea because John the Baptist had gotten arrested. So on his way back to Galilee from Judea because of the arrest of John the Baptist, he stops off in Samaria at Jacob's well and talks to the Samaritan woman, the very famous story which we've covered in our last two audios. And now he's back in Galilee getting ready to start his great Galilean ministry, as A.T. Robertson calls it. And at the very beginning of that great Galilean ministry, most of which John does not record, at the very beginning of that ministry, he, John records a healing at Cana of a nobleman's son. And that's what we're going to do in today's audio. It's sort of a kickoff of the Galilean ministry. And then John's going to go silent except for one brief time when Jesus leaves Galilee and goes down probably at the Passover at some feast, goes down there and heals a lame man on the Sabbath. We'll talk about that in the next audio. So that's where we are now. We're going to do John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54, the healing at Cana of a nobleman's son. Actually, the son, the, the sick son was at Capernaum. The nobleman was at Cana. The healing was done at a distance. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will begin now at verse 43, John chapter 4. After two days, he, Jesus, left there for Galilee. The two days were the two days that he stayed at Sychar with the gentlemen of Sychar who were impressed by his prophecy concerning the Samaritan woman. So he left there, left Sychar for Galilee. Now where in Galilee did he go? Well, remember, this was his original destination was to go to Galilee because he was leaving Judea because John the Baptist had gotten arrested. John probably skips the rejection at Nazareth and takes up the story where Jesus went into Cana to do his miracle. And that will explain the next couple of verses, which we'll get to in a minute. We go to John 4, verses 44 through 45. Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. 
for they had also gone to the festival. Now I am sure you will have the same impression that I had by reading this verse is why in the world does does John say that Jesus had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country and then right around and then in the next verse say and they all said whoopee here comes Jesus that doesn't sound like somebody that has no honor in his own country well I've got four options to answer that because apparently this has been a big problem with the commentators let me give you the NIV study Bible's option first I don't think it flies at all I think it's extremely weak but I'll give it to you their answer to this is that this honorable welcome this excited welcome that the Galileans gave Jesus was not really a welcome but it was a kind of rejection because they weren't welcoming a Messiah who could save them they were rather welcoming a miracle worker who could amaze them well, I don't believe that for a second because if you welcome Jesus as a miracle worker, do you really think Jesus is going to get all going to count that as a rejection? Because after all, how how can you expect the Galileans at this early stage in Jesus' ministry to understand what messiahship meant? That was really the only way they could receive him as a miracle worker. Really, I mean, after all, the disciples didn't understand messiahship all the way to the very end. They didn't understand. Jesus was explaining to them to the scripture on Resurrection Sunday night. He opened their minds, opened the scriptures to them, trying to explain to him, explain to them who he was and what he had done scripturally. So I don't think that's it. Second option as to why the Galileans welcomed him when Jesus, after which, after John says that Jesus had testified, there's no honor in one's hometown. John Gill says that it verse 44 should read this way: Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, not his country. And if, to back that up, if we'll read uh, in Matthew 13:57, the proverb is quoted again. This is at Nazareth, when Nazareth rejected Jesus, one of the rejections. It says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, not country. I, and I don't know about the textual variation, but even if it's not a textual variation, you could interpret in his own, in his own country, meaning in his own, his, his, his digs, his bailiwick, his, his hometown, where he's from. And so that Jesus is saying, okay, John is saying the reason he went to Cana first is because the people at Nazareth had rejected him. That's, and to me, that's the answer. In fact, a lot of commentators take that as the answer to the problem. Now, I will say that there's a little fly in the ointment, according to Robertson. He has the rejection at, Nana, at Cana, excuse me, he has the rejection of Nazareth, of the, Nazar, of the Nazarenes. He has their rejection after Jesus shows up in Cana, in which case, if it happened after, then that, then my explanation of verse 44 about a prophet having no honor in his own country wouldn't work because the no honor would come after he had arrived in Galilee and gotten in Cana of Galilee and gotten a great welcome. So that wouldn't really work. But I point out to you the time frame here is very fuzzy, as Robertson points out. We don't know when exactly the rejection in Cana at Nazareth occurred and when the healing of the nobleman's sons at Cana occurred. They came close to one another, but we don't know which was first or second. So I'm going to take that as the option that that John is explaining why Jesus went to Cana first and rather than going to Nazareth, it's because a prophet has no honor in his own hometown and Nazareth was his own hometown. There are some other options to explain it. Here's one from the commentator Barnes. He says that John means this, Jesus went to Galilee, although he had said that a prophet has no honor in his own town. Yet because he foreknew that the Galileans would many of them believe on him, he went at this time. Although he puts a contrary 
adversative type meaning to the thing, given that he did this despite the fact. Well, you might have to go to the Greek to figure that one out. I don't. I think that's weak. Actually, I just did go to the Greek and look at it. Looked at it. The word there is gar at the beginning of the phrase, which means indeed has no idea. To me, I, the lexicon has no definition of although, despite. I think that's a weak explanation. His Ellicott solution. Jesus's earlier ministry in Samaria and Judea prepared the way for his ministry in Galilee. Jesus knew he couldn't start his ministry in Galilee because they wouldn't welcome him because a prophet is without honor in his own country. So Jesus therefore builds up a reputation in Judea, Perea, and Samaria first, as we read about in the book of John. And he did that so the Galileans would accept him. The Galileans then, who saw him at the feast of the Passover returning to Galilee, that of course would help his cause. So we would read it this way. Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Therefore, he could not start his ministry in Galilee. So therefore, he started his ministry in Judea. And by the time he went to Judea and, and became uh, a successful miracle worker, he came back to the Galilee. And the Galileans, having seen what he did in Judea and Samaria, welcomed him because they had seen everything he had done down there. That is a stretch, in my opinion. I think the best way to say is, is John is just saying that because of the rejection at Nazareth, Jesus went to Cana. Now notice that wherever it was that Jesus had no honor in Galilee in general or Nazareth in particular, he went there anyway. The NIV study Bible points that out. Jesus went anyway. He wanted to bring salvation even to those who gave him no honor. He didn't do a lot of miracles in Nazareth, Nazareth because of their lack of faith, but he still tried. Now verse 45 in John 4 says that the people in Galilee had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. Some of them, many of them, probably almost all of them, went down to the Passover and had seen Jesus, and Jesus had done a lot of miracles down there. We read this in John chapter 2, verse 23. While he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So Jesus had already gotten his ministry started with signs. We go now to John chapter 4, verse 46. Then he, Jesus, went again to Cana of Galilee. This is after leaving Sychar in Samaria, where he met the Samaritan woman. He went again to Cana again because he had already been to Cana one time. Earlier, with his mother and his disciples, they kind of took a trip to Cana to the wedding. While he was doing his Jerusalem ministry down there at the beginning of uh, of John, he took a little excursion into back to Capernaum briefly, and on the way he stopped at Cana, did the miracle of, of the changing of water into wine, and then went back to Jerusalem. So the miracle at Cana was sort of on a side excursion, I guess you'd say. And now he's on his way back to Galilee to really establish his Galilean ministry, the great Galilean ministry, and on the way he goes to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official there at Cana, whose son was ill at Capernaum. Now remember, the sixth son is at Capernaum. The royal official, the nobleman the King James has him, is at Cana. Cana is about 15 miles almost due west of Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are three parallel passages that introduce this, this incursion into Galilee, into Cana. Mark 1, verses 14 through 15 says this, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. 
So Jesus is on his way to Galilee because John had been arrested, we learn from Mark. Matthew 4, 17, from then on Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So you see Jesus is continuing John the Baptist's message of repentance. Repent, believe in the good news, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in Luke 4, verses 14 through 15, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. So this was not just a sterile trip back to Galilee. He's preaching as he went, going through the towns of Galilee as he goes as he heads back to Capernaum. Now this so-called great Galilean ministry, this is what A.T. Robinson calls it. He runs it from the, probably from the autumn of A.D. 27 to the spring of A.D. 29. The length of that ministry actually cannot be definitely determined. It's a matter of guesswork. We know that in the Galilean ministry that Jesus progressively manifested himself as Messiah. He gradually trained the twelve, and he gradually earned the deepening and spreading hostility of Jewish leaders. And we know that as we have gone through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's quite obvious. All right, so but now we are at the very beginning of this great Galilean ministry. We're in Cana, and an officer in Herod's service shows up, a royal official. Now, the old commentators like to speculate as to who this guy was. I think it's probably worthless to speculate, but some of them say it was Chusa Herod's steward, the husband of Joanna, the disciple who followed Jesus and helped pay for his ministry and who was at the resurrection. Excuse me. Well, I think she was at the resurrection and the crucifixion. So she was quite prominent, and her husband was Chusa. Well, there's no evidence for that. There's another speculation that this royal official was Manan, mentioned in Acts 13.1, one of the seven, the prophets and teachers that sent Paul and Barnabas off on the first missionary journey. One of those prophets and teachers was Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, Acts 13.1 says. Ah, so the Christians had friends in high places. But that's speculation. We don't know. So whoever this was, he was a royal official. We go now to verse 47 and 48. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea and to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son. Come down to Capernaum, that is. Capernaum was on the seashore of the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Canaan was up in the hill country, as you can see from the map. And so he said, come down means geographically come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. Verse 48, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. All right, the first question we have is, why would the man having asked Jesus to come heal his son, which obviously showed some kind of faith in Jesus. He assumed that Jesus would heal his son. That shows that he believed that Jesus had the power to heal his son. So he had faith. And then Jesus in verse 48 says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Seems a little harsh. Seems not, doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, first of all, the you there is plural, unless you plural. The Holman Christian Study Bible adds people in brackets just so we see that plural. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So, Jesus is referring to all of the Galileans, all of the people there in Cana, at least. He's referring to Galileans in general, not Herod's official. He might have been referring back to his experience in Nazareth when they didn't believe him, when he was perfectly willing to do all kind of miracles and they wouldn't believe, and so Jesus could do not very many miracles there. And so the fact that this man was asking for another sign and wonder might have reminded him of what happened in Nazareth. Oh, here we go. You want to know the miracle. But do you really believe? Do you really believe that I'm going to do it? Well, I don't know. This is a hard thing to me, but I do know that Jesus healed the man's son at a distance, which shows faith on the part of the nobleman to have his son healed at a distance without Jesus present. 
So I think this is what Adam Clark says about this problem. He said it would be ridiculous to chastise the official for his lack of faith because he obviously had faith. If he didn't have faith, he wouldn't have come. If he had no faith, he would not have come all the way from Capernaum to Cana to get Jesus to heal his son. So the answer, according to Clark, is the plural. He's referring to all the people. And what he's saying is, I think what Jesus is doing is saying, look at this man, he's got faith, but you guys over there, you're not going to believe me, are you? Unless you've got to see a miracle. This man doesn't have to see the miracle right in spot, in, on the spot. He believes me even though his son's back in Cana. If his son was here and I could do a miracle here, he would see the miracle. But he believes even though he can't see me present with his son. I think that's the answer. Jesus is chastising the Galileans because they want to see something directly and this man had more faith in that he was able to believe jesus even though jesus wasn't present with his son now all that sounds wonderful coming from my lips but unfortunately the niv study bible disagrees the niv study bible says that the official had faith that jesus would come heal his son yep as we just said but his faith wasn't so strong as to believe that jesus could do the healing at a distance the niv study bible says that that the the official believed that Jesus's corporeal presence was necessary to do the healing, that Jesus needed to be physically present at the healing. And that, of course, contrasts with the, the centurion who later on in the Galilean ministry was met with his, his messengers and said, your son is well, your son is well, or your servant, not your son, excuse me, your servant as well. This is the well-known story. Recall the, the 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 servant died because Jesus had stopped on the way down there to heal the woman with the issue of blood. So there's a question here. How much faith did this man have? Did he have faith that Jesus would heal at a distance, or did he only have faith that Jesus would come down and heal being physically present? John Gill and Jameson Fawcett and Brown say that the man had a mixture of unbelief and faith. Adam Clark looks down on him a little bit, and he said that the man felt he deserved the honor of Jesus' present. Here's a quote from Clark. He seems here to feel himself hurt because our Lord did not come at his first entreaty. It is difficult for a proud man or a man in office to humble himself or to treat even God Almighty with proper respect. Well, I don't think Clark's right there because when somebody's dying, when you got your son dying, you're not going to worry about what a big shot you are. You just want to get your son healed. He believed that Jesus could heal his son. Now, whether he believed it, that Jesus had to come heal his son or whether he could heal him at a distance, I don't know. I suspect that Jesus thought the man had faith and honored that faith by healing his son, and he was using that faith to contrast with all the other people who didn't have the royal official's faith, such as the people at Nazareth. That's my humble opinion on that difficult verse. Now, let me point out here, a few things about this verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Adam Clark says this means the Galileans had rejected the testimony of John the Baptist because he didn't do any miracles. Uh, well, I don't know about that. I don't know that the Galileans had rejected the testimony of John the Baptist because he didn't do miracles. That might be an inference too far. And let me point out another point about Verse 48, the commentators in commenting on this verse often contrast the Samaritans who believed without a miracle. They say, oh, these, these Galileans, they don't have any faith. They've got to see signs and wonders. But the Samaritans didn't need to see a sign and wonder. They believed just on Jesus' testimony. And that is bogus, in my humble opinion. That is completely missing the fact that Jesus' prophecy was a miracle. When a stranger can look at a strange woman and then 
tell everything about her past and impress her so much that this woman with a checkered sexual history would run into towns and says, he told me everything about my past. You don't call that a miracle? And that's why the people went running out to see Jesus was because of the miracle he did at Samaritan. So that's, I don't think that's reasonable at all to contrast the people of Samaritan, Samaria with the people of Galilee at all. This just shows the, the running cessationism, if I can, the sensationist tendency of, of commentators post-Reformation. We just cannot, we just don't want to say anybody believed in Jesus because a miracle was done because that means that we could have miracles today and that might lead people into the kingdom, which is happening all over India, China, and Africa. But, it, well, you know, miracles everywhere, right in front of the cessationist noses, but they're not going to believe. People getting saved everywhere, but oh no, they're going to start talking about charismania and and fraud, fraudulent healings, and, and we're not going to talk about all the people that are getting saved by the true healings. John 4, verses 49 through 53, and we'll finish it up. Sir, the official said to him, said to Jesus, come down before my boy dies. Now, the man did want Jesus to come down, which is understandable. You typically think that Jesus needs to be present at a healing. Verse 50, go, Jesus told him, your son will leave. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. So, you see, he did believe that Jesus could heal at a distance because he left him right then. And, and plus the verse explicitly said the man believed what Jesus said, that he was going to heal him at a distance. So he did have faith for that, which was a good bit of faith. Verse 51, while he was still going down, that is, down from Cana to Capernaum, his, sla Capernaum, his slaves met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. He, the official, asked them, the slaves, at what time he, the young son, got better. Yesterday at 7 in the morning, the fever left him, according to Holman Christian Study Bible. It's actually in the Greek, it's the seventh hour, which would be 1 o'clock in the afternoon, which is what I believe it is. Yesterday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household, noticed that he believed before, before he left, and then he believed after the miracle was done. The miracle itself actually buttressed his belief. The more miracles you see, the more likely you're going to believe for the next miracle. That's just human nature. And here we have this increase in faith happening to this man. He believed Jesus' word, and then he believed even more after he saw Jesus' deed. And notice that he not only believed, but also the whole household who saw the miracle. All of them believed also. Miracles tend to lead to salvation, cessationist. That's why the church should be doing miracles today. Evangelists, not fake ones, of course, but real ones that, are, that are, can be testified to, that have credible witnesses. They should be done because once those credible witnesses are believed, then the word spreads and people get saved. Now notice when Jesus said in verse 50, Go, your son will live. He was not just making a prophecy there. As the NIV study Bible correctly points out, he was healing him. He says, your son will live because I'm going to heal him. He was not simply forecasting a happy ending. Now, one little point here about the time. Here's the problem with 7 in the morning. If the, if the man came to see Jesus at 7 in the morning and Jesus healed the boy at 7 in the morning, that would give the man all day, the royal official, all day to get back home. And actually, he didn't have to go all the way back home the 50 miles to Capernaum, he just had to go to meet the servants who had come part way. So he had part of the way to Capernaum. He had all day to get there. And then they said, when? So he would have probably arrived sometime in the uh, early afternoon, I guess. And then they said, when did your son 
The father said, when did my son get healed? It's seven in the morning yesterday. Well, that would have been today, not yesterday. Well, some people assume that the man hung around before he headed back to Capernaum, but why would a man hang around when his son's dying and he wants to see if he's healed or not? That makes no sense at all. I don't know why the Holman Christian Study Bible puts 7 in the morning here. It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'll explain how this works. 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the boy's healed. The father heads back. He, in the early evening, he runs into his servants coming up from Capernaum. Sunset falls. The Jewish day starts at sunset. And so... The servants say yesterday, which of course would be that after, in our terminology that afternoon, but in Jewish terminology, yesterday is before sunset at one o'clock in the afternoon. It works perfectly. So John Gill and Adam Clark agree with me, and so does Ellicott, and lots of people agree with me. Home of Christian Study Bible, and my humble opinion is out on a limb here. Not that it really matters. It's a minor detail. The point is, is the the belief, the belief, the man believed. He believed, and by the way, he believed without seeing. He did not see any miracle or any healing of his son. He believed, and then he got saved. That might explain why Jesus said, unless you see signs of wonders, you won't believe. This man believed without seeing the thing. So maybe maybe what Jesus was saying um, to about the Galileans is, you've got to see a sign first, and then you believe. Why don't you believe first, and then you'll see a sign? I think that's it. Let's move on then to John, the last verse in John Chapter 4, verse 54. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Now, actually, he'd already done many signs before. John 2:23. while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. John 3, 2. This man came to him at night, this Nicodemus, and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So Jesus had been doing signs galore. So why does it say this was the second sign? Because there's a condition. It was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So he had done lots of signs in Judea, but he had done two signs in Galilee. Both of them, coincidentally, I guess, at Cana. First was the changing of the water and the wine. The second is the healing of the nobleman's son at a distance in in Capernaum. We have now finished John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54, the healing at Cana of the nobleman's son who was sick at Capernaum. There are no parallel passages here, so we don't need to turn anywhere else. Now, next audio, we're going to end up in the middle of the great Galilean ministry because Jesus is now back in Galilee and he's going to start that great ministry. Now, John skips most of the events of that ministry. I'm going to, min- I'm going to list the events in the next audio of all, all that he skips. Right in the middle of that Galilean ministry, Jesus takes a trip down to Jerusalem, and John picks up on that and tells us what happened down there in Jerusalem during that festival that he went, da- that he went down to. This is in John chapter 5, 1 through 47. I doubt I'll be, I'll be able to cover the whole 47 verses, but we'll start. But that chapter, the whole of chapter 5 of John speaks of Jesus in Jerusalem healing a lame man on the Sabbath. So we'll do that in the next audio. I hope you tune in for that one. I hope you enjoyed this one. 